Welcome to West Virginia Beer Roads, a podcast all about beer from a West Virginia perspective. I'm Aaron McCoy here with my podcast partner, Charles Bakwe. So today we are going to head over to the eastern panhandle of West Virginia, and that is Charlestown, the home of Abolitionist Ale Works. Uh, I visited up there a couple of times, Aaron, and um, these guys got some good stuff going on. I have had the opportunity to have some of their beer. I've not been to their brewery. Shame on me, but I hope to get there. And Yeah, so we have Mike Vance today. Mike? How's it going? And that, that's Charlestown, two words. Yeah. Just so everybody knows. Mike, we call you still the, the head brewer, or what do you call yourself over there at, uh, at the Abolition? Uh, I mean, I guess... I guess Rob might be the head um, brewer now, I guess, you know, I'm more manager or um, master of flavors, I guess. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> like the, I don't like to use the word master, really. Never master brewer. I feel like you never really master anything. I'm always learning. Always want to try to do different stuff. So never really like master brewer. So head brewer, I guess, would work. Well, the last time we talked, I mean, me and you, you were pushing out a lot of saisons, farmhouse ales, sours, traditional sours, and things like that. And are you still producing a lot of those kind of beers? Oh, uh, yes. I'm, I'm drinking a saison right now. Um, I got Hoppy Saison on one right now. I got my Shenandoah Saison. That's my favorite. Um, uh, the barrel aged stuff, I've been, uh, I still have a, a, a good inventory of them that I, I slowly put on once in a while. But honestly, you know, really, there's more like placeholders. It's just, you know, people really just want IPAs and really sweet beers. So the dry stuff kind of sits. I end up drinking a lot of it. But um, there are, we do have a good following of people that really do like it. And um, I always try to keep a variety on. And when you have 20 beers on tap, there's always going to be some that move slow. And those are usually the ones that I like. Hey, so what is that beer you're drinking now? Hold it up and show uh, I'm drinking the Shenandoah Saison. So that's my go-to. Um, I change up my go-to all the time. I like variety. Um, I'm a beer geek at heart. I like, to, I like to not know what I want to drink every time I go into a bar. I like to look at a menu and be like, I don't know what I want. There's like 50 options. So that's what I like. So this is easy drinking, um, still complex. 5.2%. Uh, so, you know, I can have, still have a few of them. Still throw the kids around. So that's what I like about it. So this is really kind of my table saison. And, you know, I, I actually just brew that with a little bit of Czech sauce and um, Meridian Barbarian. Did I say that right? Uh, that one, yeah, I think I said that right. So You did. So, so yeah, so light, lightly hopped. Um, finishes dry. Um, very easy drinking. Um, still hard to sell the saison. But in-house, we've done pretty good at, as pushing it, kind of pushing it as our kind of gateway beer, our easy drinking beer. I don't like to say gateway beer, but, you know, you get the picture. So, I'm particularly, or particularly interested in beers that are fermented with wild yeast. And I've heard that you're the only West Virginia brewer who regularly uses a special strain of wild West Virginia yeast to ferment some of your beer, of course. Um, tell me some more about that yeast characteristics-wise? Where did it come from? So that yeast, um, I had, I believe his name was Matt, that was working at WU Lab. So 
it was probably it was probably 2014 when I was working at Morgan Brewing Company. Uh, they invited a bunch of homebrewers out to try all these yeasts. I was like, I'll try them all. You know, I wasn't, you know, I'll take them all. I'm going to try them all. So this one, for me, this like did it. And as soon as I did a beer with it, I was like, man, it just screamed like a wit. Um, and so I babied it for like two years. And I, I brewed a bunch of like experimental type beers, no boils. Um, Try to do like a wild version of it where I can catch some wild West Virginia breads. Um, bread of Mices, which I asked him, I was like, did y'all get any Bread of Mices? She's like, no, we got rid of all that. I'm like, ooh, I want that. Um, so uh, right when I was about to open, I was like, man, I don't know. You know, I had to rush beer out real quick. So I asked him, I was like, hey, can you give me a three-barrel pitch of this? And he, he and he um, built it up for me. And I pitched that, and I did the Wild Wit Wedding. And it, 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 it definitely, now I look back, I probably should have started that off with like maybe a one-barrel instead of pitching it all into like a three barrel. So it definitely, it definitely struggled a little bit. I got a lot of sulfur, uh, definitely got that like kind of fart kind of aroma. <laughs> so, I mean, I was reading the reviews. I kind of rustled these beers out because I only had a month to like put a bunch of beers on tap. Um, and the reviews were like, man, wow, this beer really smells bad, but it tastes good. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, so I was like, I brewed another beer real quick, pitched it. Uh, repitched that yeast and it's just been growing and growing and I've been repitching it ever since. So going on over four, so probably four and a half years now wow. using the same strain, the same pitch. So it's yeah. probably on it. It's probably on it's like 200, 200 generation at this point. Wow. See, that's what I wanted to ask you about the generations of yeast. I mean, it's well known by you brewers that different generations mm -hmm. of, a, of the same yeast will produce different characteristics in a beer and how it ferments. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from the first generation to the fourth generation, and now you say it's the 200th generation. I mean, talk about some of those different generations and what. what so, I mean, 200, I don't know. That's, I really don't know off the top of my head. I really have to go through all the books and read. Because um, I started only using it for the wit. And, and then, you know, it wasn't until, and I was using it for the wit, and I was using it in barrels with the West Bunker, Virginia. And that was pretty much it at first. And then I started, I started using it. Um, I first used it with um, Burning Couch, which was like a dark smoke tail. And it's like, wow, Burning this couch, thing. Uh, well, that wouldn't be a reference to Morgantown, would it? Yes. So <laughs> Morgantown yeah. refused to brew in Morgantown and Morgantown Brewing. Yeah. Yeah. So I had all these Morgantown names kind of in the back of my pocket. And, you know, kind of. So as soon as I opened, I kind of just labeled, approved them and released them. Um, and so I did it, I did it with the dark beer and then I did it with, uh, the treason. So the treason now, uh, it's probably one of our best sellers and it's, and it finishes dry for a brown ale, but still fulfilling. So that yeast is very versatile and, it, and it's, it's beautiful and it's beautiful to watch it grow and what it's turned into. I mean, really, really, I, I believe all yeast, it's all about how you use it. Not every yeast has to be, you know, you know, knocked out at 65 and fermented at 60 or whatever, 65 fermented at 60 or 70 or room temperature, you know, sometimes you can, you know, there's so much you can do the yeast to stress it, to um, produce all their different flavors. Um, so I noticed like usually when I do the wit, uh, I can, it, it seems like it's like, it's like clockwork, you know, I pitch it within four or five, five weeks, it's, it's automatically where it needs to be. But I don't, I don't, I never, I never, um, 
I never keg it. Um, I never keg it before four weeks. I usually wait five, six weeks at at max. Um, Good beer takes a long time. Yeah, I, I mean, I, for me, it's um, to get it nice and dry to dry it out because these yeast will dry out if you let them. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I just don't want to just you know pitch the yeast and keg it in like a week. But this is the only these yeasts, I guess, are more kind of like wild by nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. and they haven't really been tamed, so you kind of just got to let them do their thing. Sounds and, like it sounds like they have a little bit of the characteristics of the Britannomyces type yeast. Yes. Oh, I'll, yeah. A lot of the um, a lot of the saison farmhouse yeasts are actually probably more dangerous than the Britannomyces because they will literally ferment all the way down to zero. Mm. Um, bone dry. So you're looking at like uh, the French saison strain. I mean th that that's a yeast that I think a lot of brewers would throw around and don't realize like that's the hardest one. You know, um, for me, all the barrels that ended up getting bone dry are the ones all, all had one variable, and it was the Y yeast uh, three eleven, which is the the French um, the French saison blend or French French saison strain. All right, so what are the most significant changes that you've observed, or excuse me, observed in your local craft beer market over the past couple of years? Oh, um, more sugar. <laughs> I mean, it's just sugar, 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 sugar. So nothing's really changed probably in a couple of years. Um, uh, you know, I mean, now, you know, probably more more sours nowadays, like, you know, people don't even have to kettle sour anymore. So you're seeing a lot of more fruited sours, probably more than anything. So I think they're definitely easier to produce. Um, so, I mean, you know, that, that will probably be it. Other than that, it's IPAs and, and kettle sours pretty much. What are abolitionists best-selling beers this year? I mean, best-selling beers, obviously, Alpha Male, um, Saison. Saison, Alpha Male in-house. Saison really does well in-house. Like I said, we kind of push it as our kind of easy drinking beer. So, but once we started kind of pushing that and like people, you know, really started, you know, liking it. Uh, you know, I, my uncle came in who just drinks Bush Light all day long, drank like 12 of them and, and like one sitting. So he, he was pounding them. He loved them. So, I mean, it's definitely easy drinking beer, I think. And that's the one thing I was kind of surprised of when we first opened is a lot of people didn't know what Saison was. They really didn't. And so there was, you know, I had to explain what Saison was. I had to always explain what this guy Brett was ruining all these beers. So, yeah, so that was kind of a challenge. Um, I expect it to not necessarily be such a challenge. Now, I have two sons that are at WVU, attending WVU, and Charles is a WVU grad. Um, can you talk to me a little bit more about the Blue and Golden Delicious beer? Okay, yeah, the Blue, the Blue and Gold Delicious beer, I, I did that. I did that beer for one of the West Virginia days at Apothecary when I was working at Morgan Brewing Company. I mean, it's like the name. I thought the name kind of worked. It kind of, it just kind of came with me. I was like, I want to do a West Virginia beer. And like, you know, it was like, you know, so, so really we just made it with um, blueberry juice and apple juice. And, and I kegged it up with a bunch of uh, mosaic hops and it actually was pretty good. And I used it with uh, that S26, what I'm currently using now. So that's kind of how it's always been. Um, that's kind of how it's been since I started here and, and, um, and I use S26. I don't add any dry hops to it. So, but that's actually been a really popular beer from the beginning. 
I was going to ask, are you still making it and does it sell well if so? Yeah, actually it's one in house. It's probably when I have it on tap, it's probably one of the best selling beers. Um, I took, I like the kind of more crisper, clean kind of funky, funky fruit with uh, the citrus, like a little bit, um, a little bit of spice, like peppercorn. Um, when I say funky fruit, I guess kind of like more like, you know, overripe and kind of like orange kind of, kind of um, thing going on. Yeah. One I do like the banana. Your taste runs more toward the classic uh, Belgian saison style, I think. Yeah, I think beige, I think um, I think saison should be easy to drink. I think they should be kind of crushable, um, you know. And it's and it's 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 most of the saisons I get commercially, or at least in America, they're usually like seven eight percent, and it's like you know, and and I'll drink a bottle. Most of the times they won't even say what the percentage is in the bottle and I'll crush it. And then I'm like, well, let's look that up. And I'll look it up and I'll be like, oh, 8.2. I'm like, well, I guess I can't have another beer. I like the more of the table saisons, which you don't see many of. I guess most, I guess it's tipper to say grisette or something like that. So, Mike, you've used local hops in some of your beers. So how would you compare the local Jefferson County hops that you've used with like Cascade or similar hops from the Pacific Northwest? Well, I've only used one, and it was from, I guess, it's, I think his name was Justin. Um, and I got about 44 pounds, and I was using it. I did a beer called um, Beverly's Farmhouse Ale. actually sold pretty good, and it did really good. And I just and I just dry hopped it. It was pretty much my, my, my wet base, my wild base, and I dry hopped it with a bunch of that. So for me, those hops are definitely a little bit more earthy, um, almost more kind of um, wet hop tasting. You know, you're not really getting that that citrus bang you're going to get from some of the processed pellet hops you're getting on the West Coast or the Pacific Northwest. Um, and I think that's the I think that's probably the biggest problem with with like local hops is you know you're not going to get that cool kid kind of flavor that everybody wants <laughs> out of them. So you know you kind of have to use them in different ways. Um, which I loved them. I loved as soon as I tried them, it kind of reminded me of, of like a wet hop type flavor. Right. I can see that. And you were probably the first West Virginia brewer to make extensive use of fruit in your beers. So let's talk about the local fruits that you've used. Yeah. So local fruits, I'm not really using much anymore. Um, uh, I mean, I can, I have stories the first year, you know, I've, I had like 10 flats of like fur cherries from Moore's farm. And I like to freeze all my fruit first, and but I don't have the room. You know, I had chest freezer stuff. So, you know, the tart cherries from Morris Farm are amazing. Um, the rich, the rich made peaches are amazing. I did Best Virginia with that. I did uh, Opecan Creek with the tart cherries. I did a plum. Um, I got from up the street at the farmers market. I ended up coming back with a huge um, um, box of plums. Actually, two or three boxes, and. So, I mean, after, you know, the, the funniest thing is that it's like, it's been all this time processing all these cherries and peaches and all this stuff. And the beers just really don't sell. I put them all in bottles. They kind of just sat there, you know, nobody wants bottles. Nobody buys bottles anymore. And I mean, this is not something new. This has been for the last few years. So, but you, you know, you put it in a can, you know, they're going to, they'll, they'll buy it. Yeah, so, so where, where are you getting your fruit now for the beers you're making? Uh, I mean, most of the fruit I use, purees or concentrates, um, and they work really well. And 
Uh, I think certain fruits are better whole. I think tart cherries is one of them. I think peaches is one of them. Um, mangoes is better in the whole. Um, but the berries, berries almost to concentrate, I think are even better. Now, and, on these concentrates that you get or the purees, do they give you a, a lab analysis of sugar content and things? Yeah, a lot of them I get usually do have it on there or they'll give you like a bricks content. Um, uh, but yeah, but I make sure they're all 100% because you'll get some of them you can get and it's like literally, it'll be like, this is peach and then like 50% of it's like apple juice. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> you know, so got to be 100%. So it is pricey, but I mean, the yeah, but you know, whole fruits pricey too. Right. It's all price, but it is. It does help me to um, to like I can just add en enough in the keg just to carbonate and actually do a whole. I don't even, I don't even have to tie up a tank. So like I can just dump some concentrate into a keg, of say like a saison, and you know then I got a different flavor right there just on a different keg. So then people want to be like, how can you make twenty different beers in your little small system? I mean, that's how I do it. <laughs> Um, you know, I got bunk cakes. Every I'm using these old cakes from, I guess, the 1960s, 70s. It was Hall Stevens. So I still got a lot of those. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that for a while. Um, I was I was um, experimenting with just using juices and mainly just almost to like um, cake condition with. So I feel like it almost helps trap the flavor in better because like the flavor doesn't ferment out. So it kind of traps it in there. And I was doing that before I started this and I had really good results. So I was always kind of a fan when I was doing Morgan Brewing Company. I would, I would juice some, I remember juicing rhubarbs, juicing some other fruits and put it in. Um, but once you get to like a bigger scale, it's almost easier just to have, you know, them juice it for you and just send it over. Sure. So as far as your younger craft beer customers or consumers, do you feel like they understand and appreciate classic beer styles? And I'm thinking more like people that are 20, 30 years old in that, in that era. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. It's, that's probably a good question. Um, I think there's a few, uh, I think there's a lot, you know, I probably wouldn't put it in an age group. I think overall there's probably only a small percentage that kind of really care about the classics, to be honest with you. So, um, you know, you might get some younger ones. But, you know, I look back when I was younger, I probably I probably had more of a palate for like the sweeter stuff. I knew I used to, you know, I was definitely more into like more of the, the English ales, which are more maltier and sweeter. It's definitely like the English IPAs. Um, you know, as I grew older, I noticed that like I was more into like, you know, dry and bitter. And which I think, you know, the younger crowd, younger crowd doesn't want dry or bitter. Um, right. You know, the older the older crowd, you know. It's more for that. So we, we do get more, we see more of the older crowd here. Uh, we don't, we, we probably don't, we don't see many 20 year olds in here. Well, you had, you mentioned earlier though, you know, you were so, sort of surprised about the amount of education, how much you had to go into, Hey, what's a Saison? And you said that was a good beer to sort of introduce and get people that weren't necessarily a craft beer fan, maybe to get them on board and get them to try some different things. So what do you do as a brewery as a whole? Do you do particular things to try to educate people, maybe a beer tasting or just general conversation? What's your approach? Well, it's been a while. Um, haven't done much of that since all last year. I probably wasn't in the dining room. When we first started, I was con constantly going around the tables, looking at stuff, you know, asking but um, how everything was. Um, obviously, last year, everything kind of 
So, uh, you know, really, I don't, I haven't, I've only been here maybe a couple times since we've been open back up full time. We didn't open our bar back up until mid April. Um, uh, but, you know, I try to, I try to, um, I really try to get the staff to, uh, to trust their palate. And I think that's really the key that I always try to do is because like, what I even tell to anybody is like, trust your palate. You know, what do you like? Um, I always give somebody a beer. I'm saying, here, try this. And the first thing they say is like, what is it? I'm like, well, you tell me. <laughs> and then so, cause it, as soon as I tell them what it is, their brain already, you know, gets, uh, you know, um, a misconception of what the beer is or whatever their concept conception of the beer is. Right. Uh, so, you know, I kind of like to hear what they think. So I'm just like, so I used to always bring beers up to people and like, here, try this. And before they could, before I could tell them what it is, I wanted them to tell me what they thought it was. And the one thing I've noticed a, a lot in my years was a lot of people say like, oh, this is hoppy or, you know, and, it, and I'll give them a cold. She'll be like, oh, this is hoppy. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of um, beer drinkers who just know a few buzzwords and that's kind of it. Um, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, I think the real beer geeks are kind of in the minority. Um, but it's the way it is. Um, I think, you know, obviously with IPA, I think IPA is a big seller because it tells the full story from the first sip to the last. Um, um, typically the beers I like are, I usually don't like on the first sip and I'm like, I would drink and I'm like, man, I don't like this. And then I'll have a couple more sips. I'm like, Ooh, I get this now. It's making sense. So I think there's a lot of people out there untapping on just one sip. Especially, you know, they go to the bartender, like, let me just try it. Sure. They don't even have a fair chance. Yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of untaps on that. And so, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest problem because, I mean, you're, you're never going to see a Colch be a five on untap. It's, it's not going to happen. Uh, it could be the best Colch in the world. It's probably going to be a, a three. So, you know, really, really, I think with education and educating, um, people really just got to want to be educated. I think, I think. 75% of beer drinkers don't really care. They just want something to slow down their gullet. Um, but with my staff, I always try to tell them, trust your palate. You know, you know, don't, don't just say just because I say I really like it. You know, tell, tell them what you like. You know, try the beer. So I try to encourage them to actually try the beers. Um, take them home. You know, tell me what you like. So that's, that's the way I am. I think, you know, I think everybody should trust their own palate. That's how I always was as a cook. Um, how I taught my wife how to cook. She does all the cooking now, so so, so, so it worked I'm, out. I'm kind of curious about your feelings on some of the newer trends in in beer. Not necessarily all craft beer. A lot of them are kind of craft beerish. I mean, they're uh, fruit slushies, uh, milkshake IPAs, uh, lactose IPAs. You know, the novelty brews like uh, chicken and waffle beer. Uh, you know, the kind of crazy stuff that that we're seeing. Beers that don't aren't really beer, like the the uh, flavored malt beverages and, and and the seltzers. You know, are you uh, making some of these things these days? Well, I mean, I've always said, like, I don't, I want to make beers, you know, that, you know, taste that work, flavors that work, not necessarily for a gimmick. Um, and, uh, you know, I, you know, when I hired my assistant brewer, he was all for the milkshakes. Now he, he, he drinks the Saison, he likes the dry stuff. So 
I kind of educated him on like, hey, you know, everything doesn't have to be really sweet. And like he didn't, he, he can't drink them anymore. So it's and it is it is crazy. Um, even my brother was the same way when we first started. Uh, I think a lot of my staff was when we first started. And I think I think once people start drinking these drier beers, they realize, you know, man, you can actually taste it. You get flavors, you get these nuances that you can't get when it's just covered up with sugar. Um, yeah, I'm beating around the question a little bit. Obviously, I think they're garbage. Um, but, you know, I get it. It sells. I get it. Um, you know, I do the Tootsie Hop. That's probably, you know, my gimmicky beer. But I don't add lactose. Um, I kind of let it try to dry out as much as I can. And, and, and it does taste good. Um, you know, it's not overly sweet. I mean, it's not going to give somebody diabetes on, 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 one, on one can. Um, so, and that's another thing too. I mean, I'm a big, there's a big diabetes epidemic in this country and, you know, we're just adding sugar. Like, what are we doing? That's not craft. You know, it's not craft at all. Um, so that's kind of my stance on it, but I get it. It's what sells and you got to do what sells and pays the bills. So. Well, we've recently seen a strong interest these days in beer can label art and design. And you guys have really had some really great labels over the wild looking labels over the last year or so. What's it like working with uh, Morgantown graphic artist Brian Pickens? Well, that was one thing on my bucket list that said once I can get a Brian Pickens label, then I can retire. So I'm almost there. Almost there. So, yeah, I was excited. And, um, and, you know, it all happened. That's the one thing I think about the pandemic. It kind of got you out of your comfort zone. I started making more, I guess, hazy IPAs and, and uh, you know, the Tootsie Hop and stuff like that. And But now I'm kind of ready. I'm kind of almost ready to get back. You know, I want to get back to who we are. I'm not saying I don't want to make that stuff. It's kind of been nice, you know, because I like variety. Uh, I do kind of want to get back to who we are and, you know, start doing some more barrels with, like, the awesome tartaries in them. But working with Brian's awesome. You know, I just give him my idea and I let him do it. And I usually, usually the rough drafts, I'm like, I'm like sold. I'll take it. And, you know, because I'm like type of guy, you know, if I'm going to get a, a cover band playing for my wedding, I'm going to like, hey, do your thing. You know, do it the way you do. You don't have to do what I want to do. Just do your thing. I want to see your spin on it. I don't necessarily don't do what I want to do. Do what you do. Sure. So that's how I, you know. And so for the TT hop label, I just wanted, I just wanted the sucker with a hop on it. But, you know, he was like, well, let's put, let's put um, a face behind it and do all this stuff. So, and I, the West by quad, I thought was really good. Cause I just went to him. I didn't know what to do with West by quad. I was like, I was like, I want something that is like edgy and elegant all in one. And he sent me this. He was like, he sent me something first, and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know about that. And he's like, well, I also got this other one, but I don't really like it. And he sent it to me. I'm like, ooh, I like that. I think, I think that can work. And so that was the one, and it, it really took the color really well. Um, my favorite one, Hazy got back definitely. I'm just like, I remember messaging him like, hey, can you do a hot butt? And he went, <laughs> he went, he went, I got you. Uh, and that was it. Seriously, that was it. That's all I said. And so, so you guys obviously communicate well. Yeah, and then Bloom Golden Delicious was, uh, you know, I, I I didn't know what to do with that. I was thinking more of a like a font kind of logo, and then all of a sudden he sent this mountaineer with like an apple head. I'm like, yep, that works. 
and what other one? I mean, I guess there's a, a few more too. But hey, uh, you guys have uh, done some work with Antietam Brewing up in uh, yep. Houston, Maryland. Talk about that relationship a little bit. I mean, what, where did it get, how did it get started, and what do you, what did you do with them? Yes. Yeah, so, right, right before about to open, uh, Aaron Blessings come walking in. You know, he's come to check stuff out. He used to work uh, at the original. I wouldn't say original, but the defunct um, Mountaineer Brewing Company mm-hmm. that used to be, I think it was Mountaineer in Martinsburg. And, and uh, yeah, I remember he came in, he checked everything out. And he was like really excited about the fact that we were doing some funky beers. He's like, well, I heard y'all are going to be a sour brewer. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I, 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 we're going to be a flavorful brewing company or a brewery. You know, I don't like just to, you know, to say sour because like, I make a lot more than sours. Um, the sours is probably almost the least of what we make. Um, and then it was probably, man, it must have been like a year later. You know, it wasn't even a year later. It's like six months later. He started working at Vanish um, in um, Virginia. And Vanish, so, another, it's another brewery in Northern Virginia. Yeah. So Vanish, um, so Vanish is like this brewery on a farm and it's huge. I mean, they, they pump out all kinds of beer and it's place is crazy. Um, and he invites me up there to do a collabo. So we're going to do a collaboration with Vanish. And the day I come up and I'm meeting, I'm meeting with the head brewer. Uh, Aaron was the assistant brewer at the time. You know, I'm sitting down with the brewer. I mean, the, you know, the head brewer. And, and he goes like, he's like, yeah, you know, you know, Aaron just left. So I'm like, what? Aaron's leaving? So he's like, yeah, he just got offered a job at Antietam. So ended up doing no collaboration with um, Vanish. And then, you know, two months later, Aaron's like, hey, let's do a beer. <laughs> we, ended up, we ended up doing, uh, and he actually said, like, hey, let's do a milkshake IPA. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not doing that. I was like, I was like, I'll do a hazy, but I'm not doing any milkshake. So we decided on um, uh, Rosemary's Hazy which was um, a beer with um, an IPA with rosemary and vanilla. And the beer came out super clear because we came to realize that that rosemary and a beer were really clear up a beer real quick, but it was really tasty. It was actually a really good beer. I've known Aaron for, for, for a while. Uh, I remember the first time I did a beer fest up in Morgantown. This is when he was working at Mountaineer. So I was in a homebrew club when I first moved up to Morgantown. It's probably 2009, like Travis Caro was um, putting on the first volunteer firefighters festival. And I was paired up with Aaron at the Mountaineer booth. And yeah, so we kind of just you know, connected there and kind of always stayed in touch. So are you uh, interested in exploring other opportunities to work with different out-of-state breweries? Uh, we did a collab with Waverly um, down in Baltimore. You know, at the time we were friends with uh, the head brewer there. He, he ended up moving. He ended up going to another um, brewery, and so I'm. We actually were talking to him about doing a brewery uh, a collaboration there. So yeah, um, I've I've talked to a few other breweries in Maryland about doing a collabo. It's just usually it's it's always easier said than done most of the time. Uh, so, but yeah, so we've done two collabos. Obviously, I've done. I've done like two, two with um, Bad Shepherd. Um, so those are kind of really just been only collabos. We've talked uh, 
about it a bunch of times for with a bunch of other breweries, but it's always it's always easier said than done. I'm sure. What do you think um, West Virginia can do to help its craft beer industry grow and compete with out of state breweries? I mean, really, just take take note of what Virginia's doing, and you know, it's like it seems like Virginia can do whatever they want, but I mean, it wasn't always that way. Um, I don't really know the law, so, you know, don't quote me on any of it, but, you know, I mean, it's the same thing that North Carolina did, you know, years ago and there was a big boom, um, Virginia, it's happening. It's still happening in Virginia. Um, I think that's it. You know, I just think it's just, you know, you just kind of remove some of the red tape and make it easier, you know, to people to make money and more money they make more money the state makes. So, of course. And, and, but yeah, I mean, it hasn't really even been only in beer in West Virginia. I mean, I feel like West Virginia has kind of kind of been like that for almost any business, really, it seems. Um, but, you know, I'm not I'm not really a political guy, so I kind of kind of try to stay out of that stuff. Well, Abolitionist Ale Works is one of the many West Virginia breweries that self-distributes. So what does your distribution footprint look like right now? Um. Oh, we got a couple bars around here, and and that's pretty much it. <laughs> so whenever or whenever you know Huntington wants beer, that area, I mean, those guys down there, you know, there's a bunch of places down there they'll that you know take 10, 15, 20 kegs at a time, and I got a little F one fifty, so there's only so much I can I can drop off at a time. So you know, I definitely get more love down there than than anywhere else. So, Mike, you're probably selling almost everything you make then, right, over your own bar. Uh, isn't that true? Yeah, we do. Um, obviously, last year was uh, definitely a challenge. Obviously, like I said, it it got you out of your comfort zone when you had to start putting stuff in cans and all that fun stuff. Um, but, you know, but, you know it, I think that was a good thing um, to get out of your comfort zone because, like, it was so comfortable just to put something on tap and sell it. Uh, but we, you know, we're definitely selling a lot more to go. Because um, uh, I remember at the beginning of 2020, out I, I, you know, ordered a couple pallets of kegs, had all these beers. I had all this dirty beer, chocolate, and coffee. I was like, I'm going to hit them with some fire. They're going to love it. And the next thing you know, I had like all these orders lined up, like in Morgantown and in other places. And next thing you know, I'm just canning them all, all these sixels hand. One by one off the tap. So, so yeah, that was definitely, definitely an experience. See, well, are you doing any uh, announcements of beer releases when your cans come out? I mean, do you get a, a good regular crowd coming by at a new release? Yeah. Um, well, you, we usually, we usually, as soon as we can, and we just kind of, um, we kind of just announce it because like, we don't really have a schedule whenever we get time. Some can at least by hand. I got to ice them down and can them by hand and label them by hand. So, like, I can't, you know, it's kind of hard to say, and especially now when it's 90 degrees out, and it's kind of just as hard to do. So, so we're really just kind of just winging it. Well, here in Southern West Virginia, we, you know, obviously we don't get to see a lot of your beer. And as you said, you know, Huntington does, and we definitely get to see that at the Rails and Ells Festival, which I plan on being at in the next two weeks as it's coming up. Are you going to be there? Yes, I will be there. Great. 
I'm looking forward to seeing you and tasting some of your abolitionist specialties. So do you have something special that you plan on bringing or is it going to be just your classic regular? I don't think I really have a classic, you know, like, or I usually don't bring the classic if I do. I, I think last year, the last time I did bring the alpha male, um, but down there, you know, I bring West Funk Virginia and Bretty White, Harper's Berry. I brought the extra funky Harper's Berry in. And there's been a few times when I had a real sour Harper's Berry. I'm like, oh, man, this is really bad. I like, you know, I'm like, hey, guys, if y'all don't like this, you know, I'll get you a new one. And if you can't sell it, then the next time I'm like, hey, y'all want some kegs? They're like, yep, I'll take three of those. So, so I mean, well. <laughs> the funk, it seems like the funkier I make it. But up here, it's totally different. Like nobody, nobody wants the funky stuff around here. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, but I mean, it's the way it is. So I think, I think down there, you guys have really kind of built a culture that there really isn't anywhere else in West Virginia, which I think is pretty awesome. Well, um, I, I definitely look forward to, to seeing you and, and tasting yeah. that beer that I haven't had already. Anyway, I said a blend of that. I'm probably going to bring down. Um, nice. I got, I did uh, the brand Boss. Which we just cake. It's awesome. I'm gonna bring that. It's kind of a play on Grand Marnier, orange zest, so like an amber ale with orange zest out of the cognac barrel. It's actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna bring some fun stuff. I want to. I just always try to bring a, a variety and also some fun stuff. That's great. Harvest Berry. Definitely gonna bring that one. So. Okay. Well, that's great. I think that kind of wraps up what we wanted to talk about. It's been great catching up with you, Mike. Uh, anything else you'd want to add about anything going on at the uh, abolitionist that we haven't touched on? That's important. Um, I mean, you know, not really. I think, I think people should make it up here and check it out. Uh, I'm definitely, when, it, when we built this, I've definitely did it more for like the in-house experience. Uh, for me, I'm like the beer geek. I like that in-house experience. I like going to you know, a brewery and, and, and drinking beer there more than I like just going to the store and buying a six pack. So that's kind of how I am. That's kind of how we plan our trips. We still do. Um, so that's how I've always been more of a, more of an experienced kind of guy, which I don't feel like you can get when you're just, you know, picking up a six pack. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being on West Virginia Beer Roads this evening. We absolutely wish you the best and appreciate your time. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate y'all having me. This brings us to the close of another podcast. Remember, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast host. Thank you for listening to West Virginia Beer Roads.